get to it. You've already there. And uh, our, uh, I want to talk to you about participation and how that we get the opportunity by God's grace. Everything is about His grace. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. And so I just entitled this God's Grace Initiative. And, and God is always the initiator. We didn't beg God to come to earth for God so loved the world that he gave. God, God's always the one that initiates. And our faith is just simply a response to God's grace and to what God has done and what he's accomplished through that grace. And so I, just, I wrote down this statement. I just want to read it to you so I don't mess it up. But God's grace, and when we say grace, we're talking about a person, right? You, if you come here, you know that. Grace is not a, uh, you know, a sidebar. It's not a teaching that we do for a few weeks and then move on to something else. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus, right? And, uh, and so God's grace participates uh, by the Holy Spirit in the world where willing partners and how many knows that Jesus is the first and the foremost of those willing partners with God and with that Holy Spirit? But then what that partnership does is it actively mediates God's love and his care into this world. And we get, we get to participate in that. We, we get to, to do that and be involved in that. And, and, and God participated with us in the sense of the incarnation. How many knows what the word incarnation means? It is when God became flesh. Uh, when, that, when the word in the beginning put on flesh. And I told you it's always interesting to me that it does not say that he became just human. Anthropos is the, is the word for hum, human. But it, he became flesh. And, and what, the, what flesh is, that's a, the Greek word is sarx, S-A-R-X. But it's the word that depicts the fallen state of man. In other words, Jesus went into that flesh, the same flesh of Adam in the sense of that fallen humanity. And Jesus uh, did that to participate, to partner, if you will, to share in that affliction that this world had been affected by sin. And, and Jesus entered into that. And that's what Romans 5 and 12, I'm going to just read this one verse and I'll let you be seated. Romans 5 and 12 is a real familiar when it says, that we know that through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. Who was that one man that the scripture is talking about? It's that Adam. And then it says that, that, that when that sin came, death came with it, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. When God saw that predicament, not that it snuck up on him, but when God saw us in love, God, uh, through his incarnation, he entered into that affliction. He came into our world, into our predicament, into our mess, and Jesus participated in the human condition of man. And listen to me, he did it all the way from birth to death and to the grave and even beyond. Jesus fully participated in every aspect of humanity. The Bible says there's not anything that we've gone through that he hadn't been touched by. You, you don't have a high priest that cannot be touched by your weaknesses. Because he in all points, likewise, has also been tempted and tested in those things. He's experienced that. He's experienced all those human emotions, all those things. And, and he endured that, that full force of that affliction in the flesh. 
And the cross is, there's no greater picture of divine participation than the cross, where God became man, became flesh, and participated and entered into our, our affliction and a world that was afflicted by sin. Can somebody say amen? Father, we love you and thank you for loving us. And we just pray today that you would open up our our minds and to, that our minds would be illuminated. Our hearts would be, Lord God, enveloped by the preciousness of your participation with us. Awaken us to the possibilities that exist if we would simply be a willing partner with you. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. You know, I was raised like probably most of you in here for years. I was not only thought, but I was taught uh, that Jesus on the cross was being stricken by God. Uh, the Bible so clearly prophesied that we would make that mistake out of Isaiah chapter 53 in verses 4 and 5. The prophet Isaiah said, surely he has borne our griefs. Notice he's borne our griefs. He's not borne his griefs. He has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. And then it says, yet we esteemed him stricken. We esteemed him smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, when religious people saw Jesus on the cross, their thought was that God's getting him. God's doing this to him. God's behind this. It says in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Jesus entered into our affliction. He's the one that crawled into that cross. God's not the one that invented the cross. And I've talked to you and preached to you about that. But I grew up hearing that. In other words, I grew up hearing that God, you know, this statement was made like, God is so holy he can't look at sin. How many ever heard somebody say, he's so holy he can't look at sin? I want to ask you something. Was God holy before there was sin? You sure about that? Sure he was. God doesn't change in his nature and character. So if God was holy before sin entered, then what does holy mean? How you hear most of the church use the word holiness is like it's a moral platitude. It's, it's moral behavior. It's an adherence to moral perfection. But that's not what it means at all. The word holy just means to be set apart or, or unlike anything else. It's, 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 there's nothing... That can compare. That's God is holy. There's no one like Him, and, and, and so the, the holiness that we about the holiness of God that that God is is so holy because there is not another God like God. He is set apart. And what are we talking about? We're talking about that God. God is love. God's essence is love. Who He is. The Bible says God is love. He doesn't have it. He is it. And so I grew up hearing that God's so holy you can't look at sin, which is a total lie, and that God, that my sin, that our sin that Adam plunged us into, has thereby separated us from God. And I have talked about all these points, and I don't have time this morning to go in and, and validate or explain each one of them in this message. But that is one of the biggest, if not the biggest lie of religion, that, that we're separated from God. And that's how religion starts out. It starts with the premise of separation. Uh, that, you know, uh, you're a sinner, God's holy, uh, God has separated himself from you, uh, God don't hear your prayer, God, you know, you're separated, you're cut off, 
And, uh, and then you have to do something to get God to, to, to re-hook up with you. Um, I always was taught and, and saw God uh, really, in other words, he had separated himself. He had a big problem with us, and he was angry, uh, at times violent. Um, and then Jesus comes, the kindly son. And I always saw Jesus kind of like having his hands in God's chest trying to keep God off of us from killing us. Um, that is the epitome of heresy, is to view God and Jesus as different. We have one God manifested in three beings, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And to see Jesus different from God or God different from Jesus is, is, is total heresy. Jesus came to show us the Father. And they said, uh, Jesus told them, you, when you've seen me, you have just seen the Father. In other words, there's no difference. God's like me, I'm like him. We, we need a more Christ-like God in our thinking. And because the image that you carry in your mind, in your heart of God, is the most important revelation you have. Because it's going to affect every area of your life and how you pursue life. And how you respond when, you, when, when, when things happen, when you sin, when you make mistakes. How you view God. Uh, I always saw God was angry with us. Jesus comes to try to get the Father to like us again. Kind of like good cop, bad cop. You know what I mean by that? Jesus a good cop. You know, he's trying to protect us from the bad cop, from his Father. And, and uh, that God was angry because of sin. And that God had this deal that somebody's got to pay. Now, God's angry. Somebody's got to pay. And so what God does is he takes his son, his only son, his begotten son, it says, and, and he takes him, whom he loves more than anything in the world, and he takes him to a hill called Golgotha. And on that hill, he, he uh, has him killed, crucified. Not only just killed, but tortured and crucified, murdered. And then while he's dying at the bequest of his father, the father forsakes him. Turns his back on him. And, uh, and, and then once Jesus dies, then God looks at us and says, now that you know I've killed somebody, now me and, me and you are okay. Just trust me now. Anybody see a problem here? With, don't that kind of make your brain fry? That You see a disconnect with that weird religious view? The Bible clearly says that, that Jesus was handed over to sinners. It's not like Jonathan Edwards preached. It's not sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's God in the person of Jesus in the hands of angry sinners. And that's who arrested him in the garden. That's who beat him. They, that, all, all this, the punishment, the affliction, the, the piercing with the nails, the crushing uh, that Jesus endured, all of that was not at the hands of his father. Uh, we did that. People did that. Religious, zealous people did that to Jesus. We did that. And he submitted himself to it. He, he consented to it because he knew that was the way to deliver us from it. Um, Jesus became a willing participant. Jesus himself said, no man takes my life. No man takes my life. He said, I, I willingly lay it down. And if I lay it down of my own free will, I can take it back up again. And, uh, but Jesus became, through that, a, a willing participant in the human condition. And he did that in order to deal 
with and to to and I would say heal our humanity. And, and and he what's he healing us of? He's healing us of the very condition that he's experiencing, and that's the curse of sin and death. He entered into that, and I told you that he went to the cross so that he would have a pathway in to Hades, into to the, the word is hell. We don't even know what that means because we've got it translated. We see a place with a guy with a pitchfork and a rubber suit and, 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 you know, and fire. But most, all, all, almost every time in the Bible when you see the word hell in King James, New King James, it's the word sheol or grave. For preachers to get up and preach sermons out of the Old Testament verse, it says, Hell hath enlarged itself daily to receive those that enter in. And they, they take that and go off on a tangent that, and describe hell as you know, the burning place, and, and, and they're adding rooms on because so many people go in there. And what the Bible says is the grave has enlarged itself. The grave has enlarged itself in receiving those that enter into it. And so, so but this is the... This is the the version that I grew up with. And you say, well, I thought, I thought Jesus said out of his own mouth that his father forsook him. Jesus on the cross made the statement, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And, I, and, I've, and I've taught you, you know, and, and I'll, I'll just give you two, and I'll let you decide what you want to believe, okay? But most orthodox theologians know that God will not, cannot, and has not ever forsaken his son nor would he forsake you. And the Bible says he has never forsaken him. Well, why did Jesus say that? Well, there's only two possibilities. Number one, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, in Adamic, in Adam's fallen condition, Jesus tasted and experienced of perceived separation from his father. That's one possibility. He's drinking of that bitter cup. He's experiencing what the, the, the false lie that many people in this world live their daily lives with, that they're separated and cut off from God. God's never separated because of sin. Never. And there's not a verse that says that. Even though some tries to twist one, it says your sins have separated you. In other words, in your mind, when you sin, you're the one that done what Adam and Eve did. We do that. We hide from God. So in the garden, you've heard me say it many times, Adam and Eve sinned. If, if that's true, God's so holy can't look at sin, then God should have never come back to the planet. Right? But Adam and Eve sinned. Did God still come? Right on time. They're hiding from him. God seeks them out. Who's doing the hiding? Who changed in that little moment? Did God change? Did his nature? Did his character? This God that they walked with in the cool of the evening, that loved them, that, that communed with them, that fellowship with them, that provided all this for them, all of a sudden has he morphed into some demonic, uh, sadistic creature? They, they, they put their guilt, their shame, their, their, their sin over on him and began to view him through their own brokenness. And so therefore they hid from him. But yet God came and sought them out. God, it's like God can't hold look at sin. He's looking at sinners. He's talking to sinners. Cain murders his brother Abel. God comes and sits and has a conversation with Cain. Pursues him. Talks to him. Cain says, I'm going to be murdered. Somebody's going to kill me now because I killed my brother. God said, I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm going to put a mark on you. 
so that that won't happen to you. The God of the Bible is different than the God of religion. And God has never separated Himself. It's our sins that has caused us to separate from Him in our minds. So maybe Jesus is drinking or participating in that cup. A lot of folks believe that what Jesus is doing is what's exactly in the Bible. And all the Jews knew, like most Americans, even if they don't even go to church, they have at least heard of the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right, so most people can quote a little bit of that, even if they've never even been to church. It's that common. But for the Jews, they knew the trilogy of three Psalms, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, Psalm 24. Those three together actually make a trilogy. And they are a prophetic trilogy of the Messiah or Messianic prophecies. And they are revealing in those Psalms what the shepherd, the, 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 the Messianic shepherd, the Messiah, when he comes, what he will say and what he will do. And the kingdom he will usher in. So in Psalm 22, it is prophetic psalm by David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he prophetically reveals the crucifixion. He prophesies in detail the events that would occur on that cross. He even prophesies what the Messiah will say when he's on the cross. And Psalm 22 verse 1 starts out and says, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? But if you read the whole psalm, you'll see that it says that when he's hanging on that cross, that God will not despise the one that is afflicted nor turn his face from him. And yet preachers by the millions get up and preach that God turned his back on his son. If God turned his back on Jesus, me and you ain't got a prayer. Because that makes that's the way God is. And if he would turn his back on his own son, then you just enjoy your, your life. Because you own your own. If, if you see God is not good and angry and punitive and retributive and all those things, if that's how you view God, then you are on your own in your mind. You're not really on your own, but in your mind. You're, and so that's what the Bible calls and Jesus called an orphan spirit. In one translation, I actually said, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you with this orphan spirit where you think you're on your own. There's nothing worse. That's why people steal, because they don't believe they got a father that'll provide for them. Got to provide for themselves. I got to look out for number one. If I don't do it, nobody will. That's the whole you know, mantra of the world here, in particularly in American culture. You know, I take care of myself. I don't do it, nobody else will. You know, and all that kind of thought process. And we live our lives as orphans in our thoughts and in our mind because we don't believe we have a Heavenly Father that cares, loves, and provides for us. And that's how, I, you know, that's how I grew up to, to see that's the way God is. That's not the way God is at all. Jesus became that willing participant, and he participated in that broken condition of humanity that sin had caused and he fully participated and he didn't duck any of it he he endured the full blunt force of it I want you to listen to the language of participation in the book of Hebrews and I, I want to read it out of the message Bible uh, because it just it's just so good uh, 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. This is the message translation. Listen to what it says. It says, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death, and he freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain, all the testing, and he would be able to help where help was needed. Isn't that good? Jesus entered into our humanity, and he suffered, and he bore our sin. He, he took all that upon himself. So I want you to think about it like this. Think of it in terms of Jesus literally binding himself to us. In other words, Jesus is binding himself to humanity, to you, and to me. And, and in that binding, listen, this God, this Emmanuel, God with us, he became fully human. Not partial human, fully human. And can I tell you that that, something that always has made me, that was an eternal decision that was made. When Jesus took on flesh, he didn't do it for a temporary moment. He didn't do it for 33 years. John says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was face to face. That's what it means with God. In verse 14 of John 1, it said that, that Word became flesh. He would never be anything other than that once he did that. When you see Jesus, you'll see him in the flesh. You won't see a ghost. You won't see a see-through bed sheet covering some spirit. You'll see Jesus, the man. Fully man, fully God. The God-man, Christ Jesus. Man, he must really loved us. He must really love us. So what Jesus did, he become fully human. And then he, in the Bible says in Romans 8 and 3, that he assumes the likeness of that flesh. Romans 8 and 3 says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through flesh. God's law, the law that he gave, he knew man couldn't live that. And he said the law was, not the law was weak. You got to read all of it. God's law is not weak because God's law is perfect. But what made the law weak is human flesh couldn't keep it. But it said what the law couldn't do because it was made weak through the flesh, God did. I love how God just says, I got this, I'll handle this on my own. It said God did by sending his own son in the likeness, listen to this, likeness of what? What did it say? In the likeness of sinful flesh. It says God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, Jesus never sinned. But what I'm trying to get you to see is Jesus didn't come in to this human flesh, this human condition, with super-duper hyped-up flesh. He entered into the Adamic fallen 
Sark's flesh. And from that position, he delivered us from that condition. Amen? It says that he took on the, the, the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, a sin, and he condemned that sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned it. Some people try to say, well, God, God condemned him. God didn't condemn him. The Bible said God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself. That's what it says in the Bible, the New Testament Corinthians, that God was in Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, God was in Christ. How does he forsake him if he's in him? God was in Christ. The Bible says God was in Christ where, when he was on the cross the whole time. Why are you saying that God forsook him? God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing, not keeping a record, not keeping a track of man's trespasses or sins against them anymore. And so, so this participation, in other words, he, he participates, listen, God participated and he participates in our human uh, nature so that we can participate in his divine nature. We're partakers, the Bible said, of his divine nature. God participated with us now so we can participate with him. This participation is a two-way street. Are you with me? And so just like 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love. It says because he laid down his life for us. And then it says we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So do you see the two-way here? God says, now I laid my life down for you. Now I want you to lay down your life for the brethren. You, I, I participated with you, now you get to participate with me. I took up my cross, and, 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 and I laid down my life and took up my cross. I want you to now take up your cross. I'm not talking about you being crucified and paying for your sin. I'm talking about you have the ability to participate in what God's doing and what Christ has done. It's, it, you know, partnering with God. Listen to me, don't get this wrong now. But when you partner with God, when, you, when we partner and participate with God, it, it's, it's, still by, it's still by Christ alone. In other words, when I say by Christ alone, it's by grace alone. In other words, you, it, it's, it's Christ's grace that's at work in me. I'm not doing this on my own strength, by my own merit. I'm still, if I'm going to participate with God, it's by grace that I participate and I entered into that partnership with God. And, and so, so just like 1 John 4, 19, it says we love him. Why? Because he does what? He first loved us. Who's the initiator here? God. People run around and say, you know, you lost your first love. First off, they're misquoting Revelation. You can't lose your first love because it ain't got nothing to do with you. First love is not you loving God. You didn't love God first and then God loved you back. I just read to you, God loved you first. You didn't have the capacity nor the ability to love God until you first received his love for you. All we're doing is reciprocating what God initiated. God so loved the world. He's the one that initiated it. We love him because he first loved us. And so we're just responding to that. So we participate as, as, as willing human partners. And I want to tell you something, buddy. When God finds a willing partner, you know what you'll discover? You just discovered you hooked up with a divine partner. God might have found a willing human partner, but you just hooked up with a divine partner. 
He got a little more oomph than you do on resources. Come on now. And I, and I don't, you know, and this right here, this is a great mystery now. Listen to me. For whatever reason, since Adam was created, it seems to be very clear in Scripture, from that point forward, God decided that he would do nothing on this earth without human participation. And we see it right out the gate. God created the animals, right? God made the animals, the beast of the field. But he said, Adam, you name them. I want you to participate. I done what you couldn't do, but now I want you to do something. I want you to name them. And it says, whatever Adam called them, that's what they were. You see that co-laboring, co-partnering, right out of the gate, before sin ever enters in, God has a heart that I'm not going to do anything by myself on this planet no more without your participation. He refuses to. He refuses to. And so, you know, God made the animals. Adam named them. God created the garden, paradise. But Adam kept it. Amen? Like the preacher went out to the little farmer's place and farmer wanted to bring the pastor out there and showed him his garden. Pastor was out there looking at it, looking at the tomatoes, looking at the squash. He said, whoo, brother, God has done an awesome job out here. And he said, well, look at this ochre over here. He said, man, the Lord has done an awesome job, brother. And the guy was getting frustrated. And he kind of scrowled his face and, and his pastor said, what's wrong? He said, you should have seen this spot before when God had it by itself. <clears throat> That's what we do. We participate with God. Because if you don't do something, it ain't going to look like it does. You can say, well, that, God did an awesome job. Not without you, he won't. Now, see, whenever I introduce any kind of thought like that, people will say, well, does, uh, uh, does God need, you know, in other words, are you saying that God needs me to do it? Does God need me? I want to say to you that I'm not going to impose, that's a strong word to impose on God. God needs me. But yet, I would have to say with you, to you, that if God don't need you, then what's up with him? Why don't he just go ahead and end all the poverty, heal all the afflicted and the diseased and the dying, feed all the hungry. I mean, what's wrong? He run out of manna. What's the problem? Why, why don't he just go ahead and do it then if he don't need us? So I'm not saying, and, and, and what I believe, I, I, don't, I don't think that, that, that the need is intrinsically something on God's end, but what, what I believe that this mystery, this, I, I just call it a mystery of, of partnership with God, is, is, is not because of any need uh, of God, but rather it's, is God's purposeful design of, of, for, for love and fellowship and partnership with us, with humans, with, with us. And uh, th th this is the mystery of this partnership. Um, and, and we see it all through the Bible. So God partners up with a stuttering shepherd named Moses. God partners with him. And God uses this guy to, to deliver a whole nation of Hebrew people from slavery. And they enter into that partnership and they get it done. Right? 
uh, God partners up with another little shepherd, a boy named David. And through his partnership and belief in God, and said, I'm going to partner with God. I'm going to, and, 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 you know, you come against me with a sword, I come against you in the name of the Lord. And they running from you, I'm going to run towards you. And he partnered with God and brought down a whole nation called the Philistines who were violent, barbaric, destructive people against God's people. Jesus partnered with a little boy that had five loaves and two fish. And through their partnership, thousands and thousands of hungry people got fed. You see that? And people talk about miracles. And the New Testament says there's, there's not the gift of miracles, there's the gift of the working of miracles. And I've always said, if you want a miracle, you got to work one. But most people don't see miracles. Why don't we see more miracles? Because there ain't no workers. Nobody's willing to step out there and work. And I don't mean work in the flesh, but I mean work in faith. So if you're going to partner up with God, Mo, uh, Moses is leading the people out of Egypt and they, they go three days without one drink of water and the people are grumbling in there and you can't hardly go more than three days without water. You'll die. And then they finally see water. Praise God, there's water. And they run to the water and it's bitter. And many believe that it's poison. I don't know that it was poison. It don't say poison. It just said there were bitter waters and they were afraid to drink. And then Moses like, what are we going to do, Papa? He said, you see that tree right by the water? He said, how about chopping that down for me? Now, if you're going to be one of them guys, why I got to chop that down? Then there are going to be a lot of people going to die because you, you're trying to figure it out with your head. He cuts down the tree and it falls into the water and it turns. The Bible said the bitter waters were made sweet. What was it? It was a prophetic view that when the cross comes, it will turn bitterness into sweetness. It will turn ashes into beauty. It will turn graves into gardens. Come on now. They sung it this morning. It'll turn a filthy garment into a garment of praise. And so you got to partner with God. You, 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 you God's people, you Jericho, uh, is, is opposing you and you're Joshua and God, what are we going to do? This is a big city. This city has walls so big that the uh, uh, archaeologists said that four chariots and horses could race side by side on top of the wall without fear of falling off. That's how wide the walls were. There were houses and lodgings built into the wall. And God said, we're going to bring this down. I'm just looking for a partner. Well, what you want us to do, God, I want you to just march around at one time a day for six days and don't open your mouth. I think that was the greatest test of all. You ever try to get people to be quiet and not open their mouth? Come on, y'all. Y'all okay? I'm having fun this morning. What y'all doing? And what I mean by don't open your mouth if you're Hebrew people and you see that Jericho city and you see that army behind that wall and you're walking around it and you don't have anything but priests leading you around, you ain't got no M16s, you ain't got no torpedoes, you don't have, you don't have none of that. 
It's hard not to open your mouth and start talking about how you're going to get whooped by these people. It's hard not to open your mouth and say negative things. I don't see how we're going to ever take this in. We're going to get killed right here. I'm telling you what. God said, the test is, just don't say nothing. Trust me. Just don't say nothing. It'd be great if we had the ability not to say nothing when we see things that look like they're going to overcome us. And just be quiet. Don't arm the enemy with weapons of negative words and just don't say nothing. And they walk around one time a day for six days. God said, now here we go on the seventh day. This is what I want y'all to do. I want you to march around it seven times. Don't say nothing until to, to the priest hollers shout. But when he hollers shout, I want the trumpet players, to, the, the shofar blowers, I want them to blow the trumpet as loud as they can. And I want you to shout with a mighty shout. And you got to learn to shout before the walls are down. Everybody can shout when they're down. That's a shout with no clout. But you got to shout while you're still seeing the walls. You got to shout while you're still seeing the disease. You got to shout while you're still seeing the depression. You got to shout while you're still seeing the, the zeros in the checkbook ledger. Just go on and shout then. What are you shouting? You're shouting in faith. You're shouting, and I'm trusting God. You're, you're dancing before the Lord. Hardest thing I've ever had to do was learn how to praise God when I didn't feel like praising Him. <clears throat> it still doesn't come easy. But it's better to do that than sit around and close all the blinds and sit in the dark and figure out how, you're gonna, you're not, how you ain't going to make it. And so they shouted seven times. The walls came down. Why? Because they partnered with God. Seven plus six is what? What's that? Do your math. Seven plus six. Thirteen. How many have been told thirteen is an unlucky number? Only for the devil. Thirteen times around is what brought them walls down. Ooh, no, I'm on thirteen. I want to sit in seat thirteen on the plane. You go to some motels, they don't even have a thirteenth floor. They really don't. You're, I mean, it'll be, it'll be 12th, and then next floor is 14. And it's going to tell you something. If you're staying on the 14th floor, we know where you're really staying. <laughs> it's a head game. You go outside and count the windows. 13, that's where you are. <laughs> that's how crazy this world is, man. But you partner with God. It's always it's a partnership with God. You, you, oh, you, 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 you lady, and you got a son, and, and, and the debtors are coming, and, and you don't know what you're going to do. Well, God said, well, I want you to partner with me. How am I going to partner with you, God? I don't have nothing to partner with. Go borrow something then. Go borrow many vessels. Don't borrow a few. How many is many? Many to you. Many to me might be a different number. But whatever is many to you, go get Many. And she borrows many vessels because she said, I only got a little bit of oil in, 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 the, in, the, in the jar, in the vessel. And he, she says, God said, partner with me, girl. Just start pouring. And she poured, and it didn't stop pouring. And she poured, and it didn't stop pouring. And it only stopped when she ran out of vessels because God's a God of order, and God will work up to the level of your faith in him. 
So if she'd got 10 vessels, 10 would have got filled. If she'd have borrowed 100, 100 would have got filled. And it wasn't based on God. It was based on her partnership with God. Are y'all getting anything out of this? You got to partner with God. Now, I remember one time I was a denominational Pentecostal preacher, licensed ordained in, in the denomination, thought I'd be there the day I died. And in March of 1990, God, God invaded my world, and he planted a seed in my heart. And he said, start a church. Call it Cornerstone. And a year later, March the 10th of 91, I started Cornerstone Church because I partnered with him. Didn't know how to do no church. Never had a course, read a book on how to plant a church. Never even heard the term planting church. Didn't, didn't know nothing about it. Didn't invite nobody to the church. It's the God's truth. She knows. I didn't invite nobody. The uh, only people I told I respect was my dad and my mom the night before I started. Told them just out of respect because I wasn't going to be at the church that they go to. I'm you know, starting this church. My daddy and mom said, well, we're going to be with you, son. I had told another man that had helped me find, find a place where I was going to start. He said, well, I'm coming. He helped me find the property. He said, but I'm, I just want to tell you, I'm, I helped you find the property that you're renting, but I'm, I'll be there. I started out the door that day, and I said, you know what? I said, I, I ain't even got nothing. We don't have nothing to take up no offering. And, and you remember, and I, there was a plant on the, on the porch, and I, I beat the dirt out of it. And uh, I said, I reckon we'll just take this as the basket. Ain't that what we did? Now, you're better with numbers now. What, 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 what was that first Sunday, offering-wise? Don't, don't shame me in front of all these people. <laughs> How much? Yeah, at least $1,000. First Sunday in a little old building. There was 34 people showed up. I don't even know how, you know, I don't know how they even found out about it. And, 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 and just blessed, blessed the socks off. I partnered with him. I, I remember in around 2000, God spoke to me. I had never got up and preached any vision about starting a Christian school. Didn't want, it wasn't, wasn't on the chart, wasn't on my, my, my vision planner. And God came upon me so strong on a Monday night and said, I want you to start a Christian school in this county. As confirmation, I, it was on my heart so strong, I was, I was actually driving to, to somewhere, and I had uh, one of my elders, which was Pastor Junior Dees, call me. He said, he said, Brother, you got a minute? I said, I do, buddy. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with, with Amanda in, in, in this public school situation. He said, she's not doing good. She's struggling, brother. And I just don't know what I'm doing. I just wanted to call you and tell you to, to pray for us. You know, she, she's really having a tough time. And he said, I don't know what we're going to do. This is God's truth. I said, I know what we're going to do. He said, what? I said, we're going to start our own school. And she can go there. He started crying. I said, Junior, meet me at the prayer cabin tomorrow night. I'm going to call the rest of the elders. We feel like we're having an emergency meeting. And we did. And Tuesday night, I met them at my prayer cabin in them woods, and I said, we're going to start a Christian school, brothers. I didn't say what y'all think about it. Let's pray about it. Let's calculate it out on paper. I said, we're going to start one. Where are we going to start it at? Well, I don't know. 
How are we going to do it? You know anything about starting a Christian school? No, I don't. But I said, I tell you what, Wednesday night on our midweek service, I'm going to preach about it. Wednesday night, I preached the vision that we're going to start a Christian school in this county. There wasn't one in there. And I said, we're going to, we, when, I, when I did that, uh, uh, a lady named uh, Teresa, Terry, her husband, Moore, they both walked up, tears running down her face. She said, Pastor, you are not going to believe this, but me and Terry and another and a, two school teachers that are our friends live right there uh, next to us, they, we were sitting at our table just the other night uh, talking about the need for a Christian uh, school in this county, and we were sitting there weeping and crying about it, and here you are talking about it. Now, while she was talking to me, the Lord spoke in my heart and said, there's your administrator right here. So I waited till the next day and called her. I said, I believe you're my administrator to administrate the school. Said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I said, well, just keep talking to the Lord. He'll, he'll let you know you are. She was our administrator. And I, we, we partnered together with God. So where are we going to do this thing at? I don't know. We're going to, God will show us where we'll do it. Place used to be a bed and breakfast. It's now called, what's it called? The winery. Horse Creek Winery. But before it was that, it was a Christian school called Cornerstone Christian Academy for five years, six years. We, the man that owned the, the bed and breakfast there had died. His wife was selling the property. One of my elders told me, he said, let's go out and talk to him about maybe we could, maybe we could buy that place. And went out there and talked to them and uh, agreed on a price. I think it was $550,000, $600,000, 10 and a half acres right by the interstate. And I said, well, before we finalize the deal now, <clears throat> I need to make sure the fire marshal approve us. And so we're going to have to have a meeting with that. But if they approve us to have a school in here, then we'll, we, we're going we're gonna to do this. So I met with two of my elders and a state fire marshal from Atlanta and a local fire marshal. And we went out there and met. That guy, that state guy, seemed to be so negative. Just negative. You ever been around negative people? And we'd walking through this building, you know, and it's, it's, it's been a bed and breakfast. It's like hotel rooms. We're walking through the building, and he says, this, this hall ain't wide enough. You can't have no Christian school. This, this hall's got to be, I don't know what it was. I think it was seven foot wide. It's got to be eight foot. Okay, yeah. I looked at Steve Bass, one of my elders as a builder. I said, can you move a wall? He said, I'm, I'll move it 13 inches. How about that for you? And, uh, and, and I said, okay. He said, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, whatever. And it was just negative, negative, negative. And it was so negative that I, I felt like, well, it was done. We can't do it here. I wasn't discouraged about doing it. I just said, this ain't the place. And so one of my elders with me, I said, I'm fixing to roll on back to the church. And Steve said, well, I'm going to stay here and talk to this fire marshal because I got some projects that I need him to check off on. And I, I'll holler at y'all later. So, okay, Steve. So me and my elder got in my truck and drove across the bridge back to the church. I pulled up at the church. And you can, you can believe this, not believe it, don't matter. But I pulled up at the church and I heard the Lord and, and just as clear. He said, what are you doing? And I didn't answer that because I knew he knew what I was doing. I didn't know what I was doing, but he knew. <clears throat> he said, what are you doing? And this is what he said. He said, go back to the school. I don't know if you heard that, but I did. He said, what are you doing? 
go back to the school. Dennis, my elder, done stepped out the truck. Dennis said, ain't you coming in, Pastor? I said, no, I'm going to run back over there. I I want to talk to that man again. And he said, well, well, I'm going back with you. He got back in the truck. We backed out of the parking where I sparked the church and drove right back across the bridge and walked in 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 that lady's building, and they're still sitting there talking with the fire marshals. I walked in, and it was the atmosphere in the room had changed spiritually because I'm partnering with God for something that he wants to do. And I felt it. And they looked and said, what are y'all doing back? And I said, well, y'all go and do y'all's business. When you get through, I just want to talk to this man again. They got through with the business. We stood around probably 15 minutes, but they got through. <clears throat> he, he said, Pastor, what's up? And uh, I said, I just wanted to talk to you about this school thing again. He said, you know, when y'all left a while ago, he said, I started thinking about some stuff. He said, you could have a school down here if you just do this. He said, now, he said he can move out a hall. And I said, yes, sir, he can get it done. And he said, if you do this, this, and this, he said, he said, I'll approve this for a school. Man, it was just like a whole different fella. And I said, well, what about this second floor? Uh, can I get, uh, can we use it and utilize that? You know, the second, it had two floors, you know, the second story. He said, no, you can't, you can't utilize the second floor. He said, because of the, you know, certain fire this and that, whatever. And I said, okay, well, can we just use it for office? But he said, he said, no. I said, well, what about this storage? Let's put our filing cabinets. And he, he said, pastor, listen to me. He said, now, I, I, we'll approve, I'll approve the bottom, just like if you do them things I told you. But he said, now, you're going you to have to put a door up there and close that second floor off. You ain't going to be able to use it. He said, you understand me? I said, yes, sir. I knew I wasn't worried about him because I knew if God gave me the building and he gave me a building with a second floor, he ain't going to let it go to waste. I mean, if we, if we feed and fish and chips and we got leftovers, he's going to take up the fragments. You know what I'm talking about? And so we went ahead. We pushed forward. I'm telling you a long story real short, but God provided we spent over $100,000 on it. We bought everything brand new in the school. We didn't go look down for raggedy old desks. We bought brand new desks, brand new chairs, brand new filing cabinet. And every kid in that school had a brand new computer sitting in front of them. Because our, our, our curriculum was computer-based. Every kid from kindergarten all the way uh, to high school. Somebody said, you're going to go all the way from kindergarten to, to, to 12th grade? I, ain't that what, I said, ain't that what the public system does? That's what we're going to do. Well, if we don't have any, well, we just don't have any high grades in. But we always did. My kids went there. Pastor Junior's kids went there. And that school is still going today. Because when God got through and said, time, son, to hand it off, I gathered up the, the PTO, the group of people. And I told them what it cost to operate it. They didn't even have a clue. People used to say, Pastor Dale, y'all got any scholarship programs out there? I said, everybody out here is on a scholarship. They just don't know it because it's costing us more money. And this is the God's truth. $18,000 a month we wrote out of the church budget to keep that school going. And we did it for six years. We put over a million dollars in it. And that, that, ain't, my, that ain't my guessing. That's Gailey Accounting Service, Tifton, Georgia, books on it. We still got them. And... and and, and, and we was glad to do it because God said do it. And, and I handed that over. I said, y'all can have your own school board. You do your own uh, thing here. And I release everything. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep you in the building for one more year so you get off to a good start. And I'm going to give you every stick of furniture in the building. Is all that true that I'm saying, Pastor Keith? Everybody has some attention. I said, everything in here, computers, desks, everything in here belongs to you. Well, who ain't going to go on and try to keep it going like that? 
So they pushed forward, went ahead. We supported the school, just like we said. And it still goes today. And today is Cook Christian Academy. And, 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 and kids that I know and people that's kin to me, their kids go there. And now they're located where the old high school used to be because somebody partnered with God one day. And now there's a Christian school that's established, strong, and I don't even know how many. They got a couple hundred kids or something now and just still blowing and going. Now, they ain't probably a kid in that school knows my name. And ain't nobody ever called me and said, Pastor, we appreciate you starting this school. I don't even exist no more. It's called being in the world. Just, it's just the way it is. But you ain't doing it for that. You're partnering with God. I've partnered with God when I come here. Because he got a human willing participant, but I got a divine partner when I hooked up with him. And all I'm asking you to do today is just, just, just say to God, God, I, I, I am, I want you to know, Papa, I am a willing participant with you on anything you want to initiate. Do you know it don't have to be some big miracle? It can be something just as simple as showing love to somebody. It could be like I told you that time, the gas pump. And, and the woman on the other side said, I don't know what we're going to do about these high gas prices. And I said, well, if we ride, we're going to have to pay it. And I'm going to never forget, she stuck her head around. She said, say something else. <laughs> and I said, what you want me to say? She said, I heard your voice before. She said, uh, you, and I, we'd been on TV. You know, I was on TV for years. She said, I saw you on TV. And I said, yes, ma'am. I was there with my ball cap on. I didn't look, you know, like preacher material. She said, I just moved here from, from Miami, Florida with my three sons. She said, one of them is, uh, uh, has a disability. It's in a wheelchair. She said, do you allow people with disabilities to come to your church? I said, yes, ma'am. He'll be welcome. And you will, too. I said, I want to, she, she, she put like $2 in there and switched it off. I mean, literally. And I said, is that all the gas you're going to put in there? She said, that's all I got right now. She said, we're just trying to get settled. I said, would it be all right if I went in that store and <laughs> ask them to turn that pump back on so we could fill this thing up for you? She, she started crying. She said, you do that? I said, it'd be my pleasure, ma'am. I said, you just hang right there and keep put that thing back in that hole. I'm going to be right back. I went in there, asked the lady to cut it on, gave him a card, and just filled it. And while she sat there and pumped it, she just sat there, tears running down her face. I said, you going to come Wednesday night? She said, yes, sir, I'm coming. Two young men that I never, they wasn't there. Well, wasn't there. There wasn't anybody she was by herself. And I'm just going to say this so it'll bless you. I hope it does. Don't make no difference to me. But they were African-American people. Two young men walked up to me after service. One guy said, uh, you the preacher that helped my mama out a couple of days ago. I said, yes, sir. And his little brother was standing by him. He said, I just want to tell you that meant a lot to us, man. He said, Pastor, would you pray for me? I said, I'd be glad to. I took a hold, laid my hand on his shoulder and on his brother's shoulder and just prayed for him. That's what it's called partnering with the Lord. 
What did happen to them? I wish I could tell you they're going to the mission field and they're saving the whole world. I don't know what happened to them. But we just loved on them. And you partner with God every day of your life. And you just say, God, I'm, I'm a willing participant. You participated in my humanity. I want to participate in your divine nature. And, and when you do that, it can be laying hands on sick people. You become the conduit. You become that, that agreement between heaven and earth. You know, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. The ladder was set up on earth reaching into heaven, and it connects that. And, we're that, and, and that's the connection through Christ that we have. And angels are ascending and descending, and, and God's initiating assignments, and God's got things that he preordained before the beginning of time, good works that we should perform, it says. And just to be still before the Lord and say, Lord, and that's what I told God today, God, I want to partner with you today. I told God driving to church, I don't care if I even preach, it don't make no difference to me. I just want to partner with you. I just want to partner with you. Brother Mike, <laughs> stand up, Mike. Yeah, you man. You the man. I'm going to, I just got a little, I just got a little one little thing to say to you. I was, I was watching, the, I was enjoying the praise and worship. And I just looked at you, my heart just broke in a good way. The Lord says you're a faithful man. The Bible speaks many verses about faithful men. Brother, you are a faithful man. You're faithful to God. You're faithful to the church. And you are a man that is not, you're faithful to friends. You're faithful to family. They can count on you. And I want to just say to you that God just drew my attention. And I saw you, I saw you carry keys. I think you got a lot of keys to a lot of stuff. I don't know what it goes to. It ain't none of my business. But God said your key ring ain't going to be big enough. And God's re releasing keys to other things. Some things you've been, it just have been desires in your heart that you've desired. And, 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 and I saw even one thing you gave up on. You're going to get the keys to it. A thing, God's going to give you keys. And not only is it physical, material things, but there's, there's spiritual keys that you're getting. And, and God has always been a God that, that is blessed with grace, but he rewards faithfulness. And, uh, and blessed is the faithful. And uh, for he, blessed is the faithful man, it says in Proverbs, for he shall prosper greatly. And I declare that over you, Mike. This is your, your, your uh, moment. I don't know what all that means to you. And it don't matter. But God just wanted me to brag on you in front. He's a proud papa. You, his son, he just wanted me to brag on you in front of everybody and just bless you with that word and that faithfulness. And you get your key ring bigger, okay? Okay, I love you. <laughs> Amen. Bless you, buddy. Um, and I just felt like I'd be missing something if I didn't say that to you before you went home today. Uh, but God loves his kids. And I just want to partner with him for this world, whether it's something real minor, like just helping somebody out with some fuel, or if it's something starting a school or whatever, you don't have to be something super big. But it can be super big. God can, you're, you're an instrument. And, and, and so we, 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 we get the, the, the privilege to, to be uh, that ambassador. And I just want to say this to you, you know, Adam, first Adam, he failed. He failed at what God uh, intended him to, to, to do and to be, really. But Jesus Christ, the last Adam, I want to tell you, he restored 
uh, uh, and has restored uh, human dignity. The, the, he re-dignified uh, humanity back to its proper place. And we're the touch point. You ever seen that artistic picture of God, you know, touching? I mean, it's like a touch point that we have a place where we touch God. And so this, this I, I like to refer to Jesus as the, yeah, he's the last Adam, but he's the new Adam. He's not the old Adam with a paint job. He's the new Adam. And what he did is he established a new covenant. And, 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 he, and once he established that new covenant, let me tell you what he did. It says he chose himself a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A peculiar, which means a special people. And, and those people, listen, through prayer uh, and their action, not just their prayer, but what they do, they actually invite God's kingdom into this earth realm. And so that, that his kingdom does come when his will is done on earth like it is in heaven. And that's, somebody says, well, what's your vision? My vision is the same vision that God has on earth like it is in heaven. And, and you partner with God through prayer. And I, I don't know of a greater picture of it than Elijah. God comes to Elijah and says, I, go present yourself to Ahab, the king of Israel. I am going to send rain on the earth. Well, at that time, it had not rained in three and a half years. They had not had one drop of rain in three and a half years. He says, go show yourself and present yourself before King Ahab because I'm about to send rain on the earth again. What does Elijah do? Break out the umbrella and stand there and wait? What, what do you do when God tells you what he's about to do? What do you do when God tells you what he wants to do? What do you do when God reveals to you what he wants to do? Then what Elijah did is he went to the prayer place, prayer cave. And he got up there, and, and this is what it says. He put his face between his knees, and he began to pray. Why do we care? Why do we care his posture? Because that is the, the, the Eastern world uh, position of birth. That's, that still is. That's how there, there's a birthing. Where the women put their knees, their, their face between their knees, and they give birth. Elijah put his face between his knees, and he began to call for rain. Listen, the Bible says pray for rain in this time of rain. Now, when is it time for rain? When you need it. Pray for rain in the time of rain. God says in Zechariah, pray for rain in the latter times, in the latter rain. He said, I will come and I'll turn the pastures green and I'll fill the rivers and I'll bless the flocks. Why? Because God said people are praying for rain when it's time for rain. I want to tell you it's time for something to change. It's time for something to change in our nation. It might be time for something to change in your life. It might be time for something to change in your family. Well, it's time. we'll pray for that. Partner with God. God's already revealed to you mostly what he wants, what his will is, is in his word. So he, he's already showed that to you. So, so Elijah gets in the cave and starts praying for rain. And his servants is in there. And I guess they're watching him pray. And, and, and he said, well, go, go look for a cloud. They go out the cave and look. And they come back and say, we won't see nothing. He says, all right, go look again. And he just keeps praying. What do you do? What, what do you do? You just keep praying. What if I pray and it don't work? You just keep praying. You partner with God, go look again. You know the story, go look again. Seven times. On the seventh time, the guy looks and he comes back and he said, and Elijah said, you see anything yet? He said, I see a small cloud about the size of a man's hand. He said, brother, you better run. The rain is coming. I'm telling you, he said, it said he girded, he began to run because he knew it don't matter how small it looks. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. The rain's coming. He said, you better get ready for it. It's about to rain. 
That's what happens. You partner with God. I know a man that partnered with God about a little house up in Sparks called the House of Grace. And there's his partner right there. Because if it wasn't for him having the partner, there wouldn't be no House of Grace. But when everybody dropped off and said, we ain't doing this no more. So I'll, you know, it's like a, a, the prophet Isaiah. He said, Lord said, who, who shall go for us and whom shall we send? Isaiah raised his hand and said, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll go. We got any send me's in here? That when God says, I, I need somebody to go for me. I need somebody to, to partner with me. I need to, somebody to help me to, to, to minister to these men. Or I need somebody to help me to, to feed these children. Or I need somebody to help me in the food ministry and to, to feed these people that are coming in need. I need somebody to partner with. All you got to do is throw your hand up and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. He ain't going to never turn you down. He's going to say, okay, you want to go? I was just waiting for somebody. I was waiting for a willing participant. I was waiting for somebody to participate with me. I'm going to give you what you can't get. I'm going to partner with you and I'm going to release something divine. They said, Lord, we, we, we at this wedding and this, I mean, it is a tragic embarrassing situation. They have no wine and we at a wedding. What we going to do? He, he told Mary about it. Mary runs to her son. Said, listen, son, they ain't got no wine now. We got to do something about this. He tells, he said, anybody, I got any partners in here? Yeah, Lord, I help out. He said, go fill them vessels. There's 55 gallons. Now it's going, you're going to break a sweat. There's six of them. Fill them up to the top with water. Yes, sir, we'll partner with you. They didn't say, well, we got to fill them up with water. You didn't hear them say they need wine? This is water. I mean, you don't do all that. They filled them up to the brim with water. And then they're full of water. Water sitting there. And Jesus just looks at them participants, those willing partners. He said, dip it out and serve it. They didn't say, well, it's still water. It won't be water when you pour it, though. It might be five loaves and two fishes, but when you break it out, it's going to start being, it's going to start multiplying. You see what I'm saying? So they poured the wine, and it wasn't wine in there, it was water in there, but when they poured it in the glass, it became wine. Where did the miracle happen? In whose hands? Jesus didn't pile up a semi-load of fish and chips and said, come get this pile and feed the people. He just broke them off, each disciple, a little piece. He said, now go feed them. How am I going to feed them with it? Just go start breaking, son. Just start giving it to them. And it happens. I'm through with this. Listen, the greatest partnership of all was when a little young Jewish girl named Mary offered the hospitality of her womb to partner with God to allow the entrance of Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world, into the earth realm. She said, be it unto me, God, according to thy word. Yes, Papa, I will partner with you. I will give you my womb. I will endure all the grumbling and all the speculation and all the accusation that I'm an unfit, unwed, uh, I'm a promiscuous girl that's gotten pregnant and ain't even married yet. I'll endure all the stigma of that, but just for the sake of partnering with you. We won't have to explain it all. People won't understand it. They'll mock my son and say you only begotten who is you we know you don't even know who your daddy is but I, you'll know Papa and I'll know and I'll partner with you yes Lord be it unto me according to thy word and she longed that womb and God invaded the world through Jesus Christ and that was his entrance into the humanity that's the greatest partnership I know of God's looking for the same thing who am I going to send who's going to go for me who's going to talk to that person if you don't Who's going to witness to them? Who's going to feed that kid? Who's going to help that family?
Who's going to pray for that sick person? Who's going to stand and, and partner with me and trust me and believe me? Who's going to start the Christian school? Who's going to start that church that still goes today? Who's going to do these things? God said, I'm just looking for somebody that'll participate with me and let me partner and co-labor with them. And between God and man and on that Jacob's ladder, we're going to get this done for him. Amen. Ain't no greater feeling in the world than that. Stand with me. God bless you. God bless you guys. How many willing partners can Papa count on in this room? You show him. You ain't showing me. Just show him. And if you really mean that from your heart, Papa, I want to be a willing partner. Whatever it is, how big or small it is, I just want to partner with you. Now, I want to tell you, don't you sit there and think, I can't do it. I'm not worth it. Listen, quit making it about you. How about let's just make it about him? Let's just make it totally about him. Well, I don't know what to do. Well, then you're free. Don't do nothing. He'll let you know. He'll let you know. He'll impress on you what to do. You'll, you'll have that, that, that desire, whatever it is. We're all different. But Papa will let you know what he wants you to do. You'll feel what you, some people call it a burden. You'll feel drawn to certain issues, certain injustices, certain things. Just look for a partnership with him. Well, this right here, my name's Nehemiah, and I read the paper, and my brother's in... In Israel, they're dying and starving. Cities burn, walls are down, people starving. It's making me cry. And the king looks at it and says, what you want to do about it? Well, I'd like to go rebuild the walls and feed some people. He said, hand him a checkbook. And he wrote him the provision and said, here, go Nehemiah. Rebuild the walls, restore the gates, feed the people. What are you going to do about what you cry about? You got to do something about it. God will partner with you. Like the old saying is, you know, you can't do something about everybody, but you can do something about somebody. You can't feed everybody, but you can feed somebody. You can't help everybody, but you can help somebody. And that one person that you help, that one person that you touch with God's love, God's care, God's mercy, it changes them. They might, they might follow you to church. They might, you may not ever see them in a building, but it don't make no difference. They have been impacted, and they've been touched by the kingdom. You're that ambassador for Christ. You're an ambassador. You have a king, has a real kingdom. And he says, when you do my will on earth, know this, my kingdom has just come. They've experienced it. They've tasted it. They've seen it. My will done on earth, kingdom come, will be done, just like it is in heaven. And you are the conduits of heaven. Just give them a little heaven. Everybody else in the world giving them hell. How about you give them a little bit of heaven? Amen? When you go eat today, don't give the waitress hell. Give her heaven. Be merciful. Be kind. Be patient. Be loving. Be like Papa. You represent him. Amen. Father, thank you for loving us. Father, we are a room full of willing participants. Just help us to be clear on what you initiate so that we can participate. I want to partner with you, God. I, I still want to do the stuff, Lord. 
I want to be involved in what you're involved in. I want to do what you're doing. I don't want to do it in the, in the arm of the flesh and just work busy for stuff that don't produce. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. I don't want to be a vain laborer, Lord. Somebody just busy for busy's sake. But Lord, please reveal to this church, to this people, to this, this body, to these individuals what you desire, what you want, what you want to initiate. Tell us that you want to send rain so we can partner in prayer for the rain to come. Tell us what you want us to do, Papa, that we can participate and be involved. It's not about you just loving us and us loving you, but we want to make a difference. We want to be a difference in this world that so desperately needs to know your love, your forgiveness, your grace. This is a room full of willing participants. You saw their hands, Papa. Just reveal to them. Let them partner with you. Let us hear the testimonies of what you and them and they and you accomplish for the kingdom, for the good of this world, in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Love you. Appreciate you so much. Go and enjoy your day. God bless you.